Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Greetings. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 17, which is titled The Birthday Party. The episode aired on February 16th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week about 25 years ago? This was actually a really light week in news from what I could find, so bear with me. The Howard Stern radio show premiered in San Diego on Extra FM. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> Quality programming comes out this week, followed by Billy Madison. It debuts and is number one at the box office this week. A classic of okay. my childhood. I'd say between Happy Gilmore and the, the weaker of the two between this one and Happy Gilmore, but still, I fucking love the end snack picks and it's worth it just because it has why am i blanking on his name i've watched west wing so many times joshua he goes up against joshua lyman from the west wing and it's so good and then tlc's creep is number one for the third week in a row will they hold out to the boys to men record we shall see and in terms of viewers this week we've got a little dip but not not too bad i think they'll survive i think they're gonna make a second season uh, thirty-two point seven million for this week's episode, but just a oh, little no. dip. We're gonna we're we're going to all new highs just next week. So, to our listeners, I do need to point out our notes say thirty-two point seven, and I was like, "Wow, that's two thirds of a listener." What happened to the other one? It's thirty-two whole people and one person who has lost a limb. Oh, <laughs> a small child. Yeah, big- if you go by the notes, it's a very steep dive this week. All right, so uh, for writer and director for this episode, directed by Elodie Keene, who I swear is somebody that I... Yes, uh, she directed um, Chicago Heat, so this is her second episode that she's directed. Okay. And then uh, written by John Wells, who we've talked about on a previous episode. Uh, he di- he wrote... Um, of course, he's the showrunner, but he also wrote uh, Feb 595 from a couple episodes back. Cool. And getting into the episode proper, uh, we open with Doug sitting at a window at night, just sort of covered in blankets, looking all nice and a little cozy. And a woman wakes up in the bed next in the bed with him, who is not Linda. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, in true Doug fashion, he calls her by the wrong name. He calls her Natalie. She's actually named Pamela. <laughs> but she forgets his name, too. So it's fine. Yeah, it's even. It all evens out. Pamela is actually played by somebody. I didn't recognize her right off the bat, but once I saw who she was in the IMDb, I definitely recognized her. Pamela is played by an actress named Nicolette Scorsese, who I did also check not related to Martin. But she played, most famously, the dream girl in Christmas Vacation. Oh. Yeah, so when uh, Chevy Chase is in, like, the department store and he's, like, fantasizing about the, uh, I think she's a lingerie salesperson or something at the department store, and he, like, fantasizes about her, that is uh, young Pamela here. Well, apparently Dream Girl likes to decorate her headboard of her bed with aesthetically assorted chains? (laughs) Yeah, that was real weird. Like, not even, like, in a sexy way, just more like in, in, like, a weird like semi-industrial yeah kind of way the headboard's just made of different like decorative chains yeah it was 
simultaneously like kind of a sexy thing and also kind of a like real dated 90s thing like real dated like late 80s early 90s thing they didn't really look like they would like structurally hold up to any anything sexy though like the way they were laid out but we have you know clearly what's going on is a one night stand potentially drinking although doug doesn't really seem drunk at all just seems like he's trying to fuck away the pain and of whatever he's feeling lately it's getting dressed to leave and go to work it's 4 a.m and you know as he's walking out he says i'll call you and she said no you won't which you know hey at least she knows yeah well small very small one-room apartment it looked to me almost like it would have been more of like a new york layout a studio apartment compared to some of the studios i've seen in chicago which is how small it was because like her bed is in the room where he leaves like to go into the hallway so it's not it's not like it's her bedroom it's like clearly a studio apartment and she says not to let the cat out yeah meow yeah little <laughs> random meows no actual cat but just okay i just want to note doug walks out of this woman's apartment at 4 a.m onto a chicago neighborhood street if he doesn't even know her name how likely is it that he knows what neighborhood he is or how to get to the nearest, like, L station without a smartphone in 1995. To all of you who were doing up these shenanigans while I was still waddling around, probably just out of diapers, how do you do this without a smartphone? I have no idea. I got lost a lot when in high school and college before we really, like, had good signal downtown. Like, there was a few years there where it's like, yeah, I had a smartphone that had Google Maps on it, but you could just not get a signal anywhere in the loop to save your life or at least a GPS signal. So, so yeah, for those doing late night, one night stands without Google Maps, how'd you get home? And then Doug goes goes into work, true to his word. Um, it's absolutely dead. And <laughs> there's a desk clerk here that we're not too familiar with yet who like looks at him just like, who are you? Because he's like, oh, I decided to come in early. I'm going to catch up on some paperwork. And this guy's just like, well, if you want, you know, curtain three is open. If you want to catch some winks. Doug's like, no, I think I'll just get right to it. And this guy is just absolutely baffled because this is so out of character for Doug. And we'll see more of Rolando later on. That's the desk clerk there. Thank you. Uh, So we go check in on Carol, who is uh, waiting for somebody to pick up Tatiana. We're picking up that storyline from last episode. And Child and Family Services, uh, we learn, has said that they'd be there by midnight, and it's now 4 a.m., which begs the question, is this does this team take place like the morning after the previous episode? Like, are we just continuing on from one day to the next? Because... Why is Tatiana still there? Why is why hasn't she been picked up yet? I mean, it, presumably she would have had to have been there um, for at least a little while because she had to get treatment for her pneumonia. But you would think that she would have come and gone from the ER by then. But uh, Doug comes in and sees Carol or talks to Carol, you know, finds out that she's supposed to be also working today starting at 7 a.m. So she's had no sleep. So he offers to watch Tatiana so that she can go get some sleep. And she's genuinely touched by this gesture, which I think we all would be if they were if we were that sleep deprived and says, uh, thanks, Doug. And he says, what are friends for? And, you know, we're we're in a good place with these two at the moment, I think. 
Let's see how long that lasts. And then Doug is walking down the hall to go check on Tatiana, and he passes our favorite thirst trap, Nurse Lydia, who who looks at him like he's a fish out of water. She's just thinking to herself, like, what the fuck? He's early. Why why is he here? Doug is never early. And just she just kind of shakes it off and keeps walking. She just really gives zero fucks. She's like, I don't care. Whatever. It's late. I'm going to go about my business. But just the, her facial expressions are always great. I want all Nurse Lydia all the time. And then Doug goes to check on little Tatiana, kind of brushes her hair back, sits down and just checks on her. And I just want to note, in 1995, Doug Ross, dealing with children, probably makes everyone's ovaries explode. That's probably what 27.3 <laughs> million of these viewers are, or just people thirsty for Doug Ross. Just, oh. Blue. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Those very accurate sex noises that I just made. Bloop. <laughs> exactly. I worry about what you're watching. We switch over to keeping with the sleeping theme. Uh, Benton is sound asleep on his couch. Little light snores. There's a whistling tea kettle going off in the background, which she doesn't seem to notice. And then, But uh, a small child goes up to him and wakes up. We meet... Uh, his little nephew, his uh, little baby nephew, Jesse. And, you know, if you know where his plot line goes, seeing him be this just tiny child, tiny, innocent looking child. But yeah, it just broke my it just broke my heart a little bit to see him as this little sweet little innocent kid when knowing that what tragedy ultimately befalls him. So do we want to spoil it? No. No, yeah, we don't need to spoil it outright. Just, yeah, I mean, like a lot of minor characters who seem minor now, you know, looking at you, Rachel, and several others that I can think of, um, you know, there's this is a long show. So, you know, people who are seemingly minor background characters now may take on greater significance later on down the road. And this is one of them. Um, Jesse will have an arc um, several seasons from now. I want to say probably in the like season six, seven range, somewhere in there maybe. But uh, it is not the same actor that we see here. So the the actor that's playing Jesse right now at this age is a young boy named, well, he was young at the time. He's our age now. But uh, Christopher Richardson is his name and didn't really have anything else remarkable on his IMDb. This was kind of his most notable role. Um, and I did double check. He appears in three episodes of ER, all as Jesse, um, and strictly in the year 95. So that's all going to be during this season and probably into early next season. And uh, so when Jesse comes back as a more significant character later on down the road, he was recast. Gotcha. So poor baby Benton, sleepy on the couch, gets woken up by Jackie. And I just I just have to say, I love her outfit. This is This is some peak 90s getting shit done fashion for work for working women and i just love it so good um but she wakes him up and she's like you know we wanted to try and let you sleep as long as you could but it's 6 30 in the morning like we're getting the kids ready to go off do you want some breakfast and he's like yeah sure i'll get up fine so he gets up goes into the kitchen that whole family is way too fucking awake for 6 30 in the morning i have never seen high schoolers that attentive at 6.30 a.m. And his other his other nephew is like, is that blood on your shoes? He's like, yeah, probably. Um, and then Walt has shaved his mustache, and he looks real weird without it. It really threw me off. 
Yeah, I legitimately did not think it was uh, Ving Rhames. Yes. <laughs> it took me a minute. And we find out from Jackie that it's Mama Benton's 76th birthday today. And Jackie's like, you gotta be there. Like, you can't miss it. You gotta be there. And Walt's like, all right, kids, let's go to school. Don't want to be here for this tense art, tense discussion. And there are some very 90s colors going on on everybody's outfits here as they get up and go to school. Like, those backpacks are just mm, windbreaker, pink and blue. <laughs> uh, takes me back. And as, as the daughter's leaving the house, Jackie goes, I don't know what that lipstick is about, but we're going to talk when you get home. It's like, <laughs> it's like, go, go, mom. And then Jackie tells Peter, like, they're talking about, like, what they're going to have for dinner. And it's it's something like a a, ro- a really fatty roast or something. And Peter's like, oh, do we have to? Because he's all about bran muffins and yogurt. And <laughs> Jackie's just like, it's what she likes and it won't kill you. And then Jackie then seriously is like, you're the only one she really remembers anyway. You you need to be here. Aww. Like, please be here. And Peter's like, I'll be here. I'll be here. I promise. Plot twist. I'm guessing Peter's not going to be there. And then we open with a bang. Shocked Pikachu face. Shocked Pikachu face. I don't think Peter's going to make it. <gasps> so we open with some bangs. And then after the credits, we go right into... Benton desperately negotiating for the night off with another co-worker who I'm assuming is another surgical resident. And is this some, is this a character we ever see again or that we've seen before the guy he's negotiating with? Nope. Strictly a one-off first time we've seen him to this point. Last time we'll ever see him again. All right. Glad I bothered to ask. (laughs) (laughs) And it just seems like everyone's having a lovely morning in the ER Jerry is screaming at Lily to get psyched down because a gentleman has doused himself in gasoline and is threatening to light himself on fire. Lily, get psyched down here now. Jerry, what the hell is happening? Carter's got a guy down here who's poured gasoline all over himself, says he's gonna drop a match. Is he serious? Stop right there. Who knows, but I'm playing it safe and looking for marshmallows. Get any closer and I'll do it. You don't want to do this, Mr. Holgren. Really, you don't? Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. What are we arguing? I do. Back up. Back up. I'm backing up. You know, if you do this, you're going to set off the sprinkler system, and then all you're going to be is a bald guy with no facial hair and a really bad sunburn. You don't have a sprinkler system. We We don't have a sprinkler system? All right. All right, look, we could talk about this, right? We can, because I don't want to see you hurt yourself. And I don't want you hurting anybody else. So let me be your friend here, okay? I can be your friend. Please? Come on. When you're finished making new friends, Dr. Floyd, Sparky, they will need an eye wash and a shower. Okay, so before we get into how great this entire scene is, I want to point out, Jerry says, Guy has doused himself in gasoline and threatening to drop a match. This guy does not have a match. The entire time he is waving around a Zippo lighter. It's a figure of speech. (laughs) And you know it. No, I've never heard that as a figure of speech. I don't know if figure of speech is the right word, but it's a, it, it was a, I don't know. It's just word choice in the moment. Like he, I don't know. Like it's, I guess if you really want to like nitpick it, sure. I do because that's what the show is for. And <laughs> if I were Jerry, I would have said, and is threatening to go up in flames. 
I would not have specified what utensil he's using if I'm going to be wrong. That is a real stretch there. Oh, gosh. Kid. <laughs> well, you two can argue with me on this, but I'm going to hold to it. This is the hill you're going to die on this episode? This is the hill I'm going to die on. Oh, there's one other one later, but this is the big one I'm going to choose to pick on Jerry for this episode. All right. Also, I also don't understand how he says, I'm going to play it safe and go get some marshmallows. Uh, dark humor. I like, guess. It's, yeah. I don't, the whole, like, the, the whole beginning part of this episode, which this patient, or I guess you could call this a patient, and the one we're about to talk about, like, both of these are just so odd. Just odd and out of place, and at least they got them out of the way early, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those episodes, I'm just going to say it right now, where I think it very much suffers from too many D-plot patients and just kind of, like, overfilling the freneticism of the ER a little bit. Particularly with the weird stuff. Like, it's not even that these are insignificant, like, nothing followed up on patients. They're just weird. Yeah. So who was the guy who tried to burn himself alive? Have we seen him in anything else? Nah, depends on whether or not you're a fan of the show Blacklist or the movie Critters. That's about the two big things on his filmography that I was familiar with. The guy's name is Jeremy Lawrence, but that's about it. All right. See, I saw the notes and I thought it said Gen- Jennifer Lawrence for a second and I had several questions. <laughs> she aged no. backwards. Exactly. Had a big life say, change. Age age doesn't quite match up as well as a few other things I can think that's, of. So That's why I had several questions. <laughs> well, that latter one isn't as immutable as it would have used to have been considered. So True. Um, but I also want to point out, Benton is having none of this shit this morning. He already knows he's off to what's going to be a very bad day. And Carter, bless his heart, is trying. After Yeah, after what happened with... Um, with the trans woman in yes, a few episodes ago. I was trying to think of her name. But yeah, after what Ms. happened Carlton. with her, thank you. Of course he's going to try and like immediately be like, hey, I'm here for you. Like, yeah, that's true, actually. That's a good point. Like, that's a little bit of, like, character continuity, huh. I th- I feel like. Yeah. I never, th- I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, he's immediately, if a patient is endangering themselves, going to jump to warmth and openness and trying mm. to be there for them, because that's exactly what he didn't do with her, and he blames himself. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I did not consider that as I was watching this. So let me have the drop the match bullshit because I just made an insightful <laughs> comment. Daniel, you're up. What's next? You're you back to you're back to zero. All right. Damn it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we jump over to like I would kind of touched on earlier our other patient of the weird to start this episode off with. Uh, there's a little boy laying on a gurney with a stuffed tiger head stuck to his face, and um, I just don't get. I don't get it. I don't get what kind of tone we're trying to set here. But the eyes on the tiger are crossed, which I feel like had to be a, a conscious decision on the part of the prop guys. Like, I feel like that had to have been on purpose. But I don't even remember. Who is working with... Is Doug, right? Doug it's is Doug. Doug. Yeah. So, so apparently the kid decided to climb up on the mantle and stick his head in the lion's mouth after uh, being taken to see Lion King for the ninth time which uh, we discovered, uh, or, well, we we questioned, I guess, uh, because Lion King comes out in June of 94. This is supposed to be, timeline-wise, this is February of 95. Do we think this would have still been in theaters at this point? Absolutely, yes. I did a little research into it, and the original theatrical run of 
1994 Lion King ran from June 15th, 1994 to, there wasn't like an exact close date that I could find, but it said spring 1995. So if we're in February, it's still definitely in theaters yeah. at this point. Uh, which along the way, fun fact, it grossed $766 million worldwide on a budget of forty of only $45 million. And that's in 1995 dollars. And I just have to say, I can't freaking judge this kid. If it had been up to me, I would have seen Pocahontas in theaters as many times as humanly possible as a child. I mean, you're looking at, you're talking to what the person who's seen the, who saw the Digimon movie four times in theaters. I think my record is The Hobbit with five times. The first one? The first one. I saw Unexpected Journey? Yeah. I saw it in theaters five times. I really liked that first one. And then they crushed my dreams and everything was awful. Hey, Desolation was not half bad. It completely ruins it for me with uh, Thorin's visions of dragon greed and him melting into the gold in the ground. That right. ruins the entire movie. Patreon.com slash Sight in the Tone podcast. You can hear <laughs> us rant about The Hobbit if you want and Lord of the Rings in general. I will do an entire three hour special for you all. Give us money. <laughs> so what, right. what's so up with this tiger? We find out from the dad that the dad's very attached to this tiger because it's been in his family for generations or whatever. It was it was killed in 1910 on a hunt. His some ancestor of his killed it on a hunting trip with Teddy Roosevelt, supposedly. And the kids had his head stuck in it for over 30 minutes. Uh, and Doug says that he's going to need some stitches where the teeth have kind of pinched into his neck. So they're gonna their plan for how to get the kids head out is that they're gonna saw the the jaw off of the tiger, which just dismays the dad to no end. Um, it's just a real weird, real weird patient to start. Uh, both you know ones we've talked about thus far, real weird patients to start us off with. As far as these uh, two are concerned, um, the kid whose name is Gus, he's uncredited as far as I could tell, which kind of makes sense. I mean, we never we never see his face and. You, you only hear a few kind of scattered lines from him. Um, but the dad is played by an actor named Fred Applegate, whose uh, big credits include The Producers, Stargate SG-1, which I feel like comes up quite a bit with these little bit actors in these episodes. I feel like I've said Stargate SG-1 quite a bit so far. Everyone's been on Stargate. It's almost as popular a show to guest on as ER was. Yeah. Stargate SG-1 and then Remington Steel was his other big one. And then probably one of the bigger hard pivots of this episode, at least, uh, we have a drug overdose coming in. I almost said yay, but then I was like, maybe not. Good catch. Um, we have a 17-year-old uh, young lady uh, named Renee. She has overdosed on a combination of pills and booze. Uh, we don't know if it's accidental or if it's intentional, uh, but who plays her? actress named Merle Kennedy who had a pretty like so-so IMDb but um, the one thing I did think was notable was that she also was in Perfect Storm along with Clooney. Huh. So she's one of two cast connections in this episode of people who would go on later to star in something else or not star but appear in something else uh, that featured an ER cast member so we'll talk about the other one a little bit later. And apparently she's a regular customer in this fine ER that we find ourselves in. According to Susan and Mark, at least. They make it sound like she's doing it just more for, like, drug-seeking, not necessarily to kill herself. And Mark says something really weird. He was like, if we gave out green stamps, Renee would have a car by now. Which I don't... I feel like that might be, like, Ugh. a dated reference or something like that. It also just feels like it's in really poor taste. 
but I don't know the exact circumstances around that. While and while they're all sort of like, just sort of like brushing off like what she's di- what she's done to herself. You know, she's getting her stomach pumped, so no big deal. NBD. And she's been she was like she was conscious, semi conscious when they came in when she came in, and they're like, you know the dr-, basically like okay, you know the drill. Here's the numbing spray. We're gonna. <laughs> We're either doing this through your throat, we're either pumping your stomach through your throat, or we can make it do it the hard way through your nose, which, ugh. Ugh. No, thank you. I also want to note that when when she comes in, um, Mark asks, who brought her in? Her dad or the creep? So Mm. we're going to find out more about this later. And then we swap over to Carol and Child and Family Services talking about you know, Tatiana's situation. And we find out that there's really zero chance of adoption for Tatiana. She's pretty much going to get sent to a foster home, kind of hospice enabled because she's so sick. And this woman from CFS goes in with Carol to pick up Tatiana and take her to the home. And Tatiana just looks so precious in her little winter gear. Like, I just want to hug her. This little girl is so cute, and they cast her so well for, like, who she's supposed to be to Carol. I just, just, mm, she's so precious. And I noticed while Carol's talking to Tatiana and explaining what's going on, her Russian's gotten a lot better. So maybe it has been a couple of weeks that Tatiana's been here being taken care of, because they've clearly bonded, and, like, she clearly trusts Carol. Carol's speaking a little smoother to her, but... This woman from CFS is so nice, and she really seems like she's suited for her job. Like, she takes a minute, tries to ask Tatiana about her doll, just seems very warm towards her, which is very, very important when you're in these kinds of situations. And then Tatiana finally, like, agrees to go with this woman, and they're walking out, and as they walk out, just, oh no, Carol, don't get your heart broken and do something stupid. And then there's Doug behind her to make her feel better in her time of need. And he doesn't. He just walks up, watches her watching Tatiana, and then he just turns and walks away. No words of comfort. Nothing. Trying to think how to transition out of that to a guy cutting his finger off. (laughs) Yeah. Another, this is full of very strange transitions in this episode. Like, there's a little bit of whiplash that happens. Yeah, because in that vein, we go to a gentleman who, uh, cut his finger off while boning fish at a fish market, it seems. And the co-workers, you know, they can't find the finger because it fell into a crate of frozen fish. And they couldn't find the finger, so they just brought the whole crate of frozen fish in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ben's treating, Benton's treating the guy, and Carter and Chen are there, um, just existing like students do. Yep. And so... Ben's like, well, if we can, you know, it's a pretty, it looks like a pretty clean cut. If we can have the finger, then we could probably save it. And then, then these, he was just like, all right, Carter, Chen, find the, find it. Also, Ooh. the the hand with the bloody stump in this effect shot looks really good. I'm just gonna notice that because it's not often that we really see a whole lot of the gore. Like it's every couple of episodes that we'll see it. So I just wanted to note that. That bloody stump looks really good. Yeah, it's a little... As somebody who almost cut their finger off uh, in 2018, uh, it was a little too good. It was a little too on the <laughs> nose for me. 
How did you almost cut your finger off? Oh, that's that's a story for Patreon.com slash The Popular Court. <laughs> it's a we real all- good one, too, so be sure to join at the $5 level. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so we cut over from there back to Green, who uh, has... We find out now that Renee's dad is the one that brought her in, so he's checking in with the dad. Dad's played by Stephen Rowe, um, whose two biggest credits that I was familiar with were Basic Instinct and The Post, the uh, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep journalism fanfic from a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> what? She, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's liberal porn, you know, and I say that as a, you know, bleeding heart liberal. It's, you know, it's just, oh, isn't journalism so wonderful and don't we always make the right decisions and never, ever, uh, you know, do anything. It's like the newsroom stretched out to two and a half hours. Gotcha. Uh, but... Fine movie. But anyway, um, we find out that Renee had gotten into a fight with her boyfriend, and that might have resulted in her um, taking the the medication that she took to end up in the ER. Mark asks him if he wants to get psyched down to evaluate her, which he kind of defeatedly asks, what's the point? There's just going to let her out for a few days. This is clearly, I mean, we knew that going in that this was not Renee's first rodeo. Clearly, the ER staff knows her by name. He asks if they've considered in-house inpatient treatment, and Dad says, we tried that. She slit her wrists, and then just kind of dejectedly asks, what am I going to do? Mm. And I'm I'm of two very distinct minds about Dad here. Like, you know, I feel like his attitude overall kind of sucks, but I also kind of get it. You know, like he's – it is – going back to what we talked about a few episodes ago, like this is just a different variety of caretaker fatigue. Like this is this is a different mm-hmm. flavor of that same disease where you there's this person who clearly needs help and clearly has a lot of problems, but there's also this unseen person behind the scenes who's always there to pick up the pieces and always there to bear the burden of everything. And, you know, it's just another another variety of that. And I'm not 100% in love with his attitude, but I also don't know how long this has been going on and, and to what extent he's been pushed. So it's hard to say for sure if he's, you know, got the right attitude or not. Well, judging by the attitudes of everyone involved, including the doctors, it seems like it's probably been going on for quite some time. Yeah. But in another little, a little bit of another whiplash moment, uh, we go back to Deb and Carter who are digging through the fish and they're, you know, having a nice little chat about internships so let's give that a listen have you decided what you're going to do in your sub i next year my elective uh-huh. i don't know i got a couple of months to make up our minds oh sure but the good ones are going to be long gone i thought we just had to sign up uh no it's really competitive oh i was thinking about just staying here trauma placement they've already got 12 requests for the one spot in the ER? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here, so we have the inside track, but it's the resident's decision. Benton? Uh-huh. Well, it's not supposed to be, but they always go with who the resident wants. So have you already applied? <laughs> Are you kidding? As soon as I got here, I didn't want Ben to think I wasn't interested, and I got it. He already told you? <sighs> One missing digit. Mm. That... Frozen finger looks disgusting. Let me start off by saying that right now. Gross. Gross. Also, another beautiful moment of comedic acting from Carter when he's like, you already got it? Like, <laughs> no, you idiot. The finger. 
Calm he, down. I'm excited to see him progress from pretty idiot to actual, like... Man. Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Carter gets hot. You're saying that like he's not now. No, he's pretty now. He gets hot. Okay, fair enough. Have you met Luca? Mm, yes. I just think it's really interesting with all of their student interactions, how Deb seems to know everything and Carter knows nothing. Like, how checked out is Carter to the actual academic process that he doesn't realize there's all these requirements that he just keeps fucking not doing? He just wants to do doctor good. Yeah, well, and as the uh, as the only person in this group qualified to speak on this, uh, I feel like this is a lot of uh, straight white male attitude here of like, what do you mean? I just have to show up, right? That's all I have to do is just sign up, right? Then they'll take me. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of the attitude here is just like he's he's a straight white male. Like he's only he all he's had to do his entire life is just show up and doors will open for him. So. This is probably, honestly, this is probably, in an academic way, this is the, probably the first time he's ever had to try. You know what I mean? Like, he's clearly smart, he's clearly intelligent, but he's lazy. So this is probably the first time in his life where he's come up against real competition and really had to try. He's a rich, straight white boy. That too, yeah, that too. Which that revelation is coming soon. So excited. As I look through IMDB descriptions of the episodes. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting just to see the dynamic between these two. And I know there's some people who say, oh, Deb's a know-it-all. Deb's just really smug. And, you know, there's a lot of people who really don't like Deb. And I think it's just because she's contrasted so hard against Carter's kind of complacency. And so, of course, she looks like an overachiever when you put her next to a stick with a pretty face who doesn't do shit. (laughs) Like, I love Carter. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, when you compare the two... It's no wonder. And I'm also thinking, yes, he holds up the straight white boy thing of, I showed up, I get a prize. But I'm also wondering if what they do with Deb's character this first season, if it's kind of cringy holding to that stereotype of um, Asian women making really good students. Hmm. Yeah, I never really saw it at that because they don't really like necessarily like lean into like the whole like... You don't see her parents bossing her around or anything like that. No, or... but she does point out that her mom is a successful surgeon at another off at another hospital. I mean, I guess. Yeah. If anything, I don't know. I feel like if anything, they kind of steer out of it because they, rather than just showing you that she's this brilliant surgeon or or brilliant, you know, thing just by default or just by like like she's being pressured into it, you know, or whatever. Like with her, it's, it's, you see the effort, like you see Mm -hmm. how hard she works all the time and like, she's tireless, never stops. And so I feel like they make a a concerted effort to try to, you know, show the audience that like, she's earning this, like she's working hard for every single thing she gets. My understanding of that trope wasn't that it's just like natural smarts, but in almost every instance I've seen of it is it's that they're a good student. So like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of see it as showing that, you know, especially, you know, as a woman of color, as she is, that she has to work, you know, three times as hard or four times as hard or however much, however many times as hard as this, straight white idiot (laughs) probably 12 times as hard in 1995 we're down to 10 times as hard in 2020 fair enough i'm also curious too because i feel like it it plays into 
what the overall thinking is with her as a character. What do we think that the plan was for Deb slash Jingmei at this point from a writing perspective? Like, do we feel like they had always intended for her to be a long-term character and then something happened with the actress that made them have to change those plans and then they brought her back later? Or was she just brought in to be a short-term plot device to show the contrast between Carter and a real medical student? And, you know, then they just liked her so much that they found a way to bring her back later. I would say that it's probably there to give Carter a kick in the ass. So you don't think that they, at this point, don't think that they had long-term plans for her? I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't necessarily think so. I mean, they bring her back in. You said that she lasts into season two this go-around, right? I think, actually, I I don't know for sure because I have not looked ahead, but I think I want to say she is gone before season one ends. So it's very okay. quick. It's like in and out, you know. So I think I think I, I agree. I think that the initial plan for her was to be always to be a short term character. And then somebody in that writing room was a big fan of hers and found a reason to bring her back later. Um, yeah. But she's wonderful. Right. So I feel like that plays into some of the writing here of just like everything is written purposely just to show how much of a contrast there is between her and Carter, like how much further Carter can go rather than trying to build Jingmei or Deb, the character. It's it, everything's done and everything that she does or everything that her character does is in service of showing how much further Carter has to go rather than showing um, rather than character building for her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. No, she's there to humble Carter. Exactly. Yeah. She's, she's his foil. Just like, Wow, I've already forgotten this character's name, uh, Benton's rival. Wow, I completely for- I'm completely blank on her name too. It shows how mu- how memorable oh, she Langworthy. was. Oh, Langworthy. Langworthy, yes. yes. There you go. So she is to Carter what Langworthy was to Benton in the sense of female characters that only exist to give our male characters a kick in the ass. Because women only exist to be a foil to men. Daniel, we only exist to contrast you. We are not characters of our own. Yeah, this podcast wasn't my idea. It was clearly yours just because you're the <laughs> cis white man on it. <sighs> so, aside from that tragedy, um, <laughs> we then switch over to a little boy brought in via trauma. He's covered with blood, and they're just racing, trying to, you know, get him the normal standard CBCs, pull socks, all that. Um, get him hooked up to an IV, get x-rays, find out what's going on, and we hear... We don't quite hear what his injury is right away, but we see another little boy come and stand in the door, soaked in blood, just watching them work on on this other kid. And Kid B in the doorway just goes, I killed him. I killed Drew. I shot my brother. And they finally notice him and scoop him up and like try to like figure out if he's hurt or what's going on. And we find out that his brother was shot through the vertebrae in his neck. So somehow this kid shot his brother. And so they're calling Neuro and booking OR to try and figure out, you know, where's the entry wound? Where's the exit wound? What can we do about it? What's the damage? So that's all we know right now is this little boy shot his little brother. Oh, boy. So from there, we go and check in with another new patient. Uh, It's an older gentleman. He's brought in. He's clearly altered mental status we find out that he is a uh, lung cancer patient who has kind of given up chemo and radiation 
so he's he's essentially terminal i guess for lack of a better they don't come right out and say that but we we know that he's not going to get better he's delirious talking to himself and having a full-on conversation with a man named dick a female friend neighbor somebody uh, we find out later what their relationship is but at the time we're just led to believe you know she's just a friend they ask if uh, he has any family she says that he has a daughter but that they aren't in contact and she doesn't know where the daughter lives so susan and mark (laughs) susan and mark uh in a little bit of a kind of a heartless interaction but i also kind of get it too i mean from a healthcare worker standpoint like this has got to be draining on your day uh, they yeah. give it, they give it the old rock paper scissors to see who's gonna get to take the patient, uh, and uh, Susan loses, so she has to take him. We're gonna see a little bit more of this character later on, but quickly I'll note that the uh, patient is played by an actor named John Davis Chandler, who had probably one of the more eclectic uh, filmographies in this episode. He had appearances in Adventures in Babysitting, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, uh, and the Clint Eastwood movie Outlaw Josie Wales. And as you might expect from his age uh, in this episode, he's getting up there in 1995. So, uh, but he did hang around until 2010 before passing away. After that, we just have Carter just being rude. (laughs) Just being straight up rude to Benton. Benton's clearly on the phone and talking with someone. And Carter's just like, Dr. Benton. And like getting up in his face and like, Tapping on my shoulder. Dr. Ben. Dr. Ben. Ma. 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 Man. Ma. 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 Man. Peter. He's trying to get Ben's attention for the ever-pressing issue of, oh, what are the chances of what that I would get the internship? Like, that clearly can't wait, like, 30 seconds. And all he hears is Benton talking about a birthday of some sort. Doesn't have any context whatsoever. And Benton says, how many people have applied for the internship? Well, 12 so far, and with me, it would be 13. Well, I'd say then I would say they're about one in 13. <laughs> I love, I fucking love Green's uh, line after that, though. He kind of walked into that one. Like, it's yeah. just, mm, nailed and it. And Carter is now freaking out because he thinks it's Benton's birthday. And Jesus Christ, Carter. Like, I think, I feel like he's trying to grasp at a straw to maybe like redeem himself for get the, some favor yeah to try to make himself look good and because no one really knows about benton's personal life so no one even would know if it was his birthday right. which it's not and, you know carter asked mark is like oh could we could we do something for that like trying to like be nice and he's again, not trying to be he's yeah. not yeah he's not trying to be nice okay. he's trying to be a suck Fine. Up. trying to be trying to be a dirty rotten little suck up and you know he's like oh and mark's like oh talk to lydia she can usually throw that stuff together pretty quickly so because of course it's lydia of course it's up to a woman to do the emotional labor no but not any woman and not any of the women in the er lydia specifically oh yeah but i'm if just any, saying if, of course if anybody in that er was going to throw a raging party we can all agree it would be lydia right like, it would yeah. lydia but and that's... jerry i feel like would make an amazing party planning committee yes but let me have my salty women have to have the emotional labor comment. No, I understand that, but I'm just saying it's very much in character. It with sure Lydia. is. All right, well, let's bring the mood down once again. As we have to <gasps> Hooray! Go, we have to go back and check on the uh, gunshot wound little boy from earlier, uh, which we're now meeting the dad of the small child with the gunshot wound. And surprise, his dad is a cop, and the cop has guns in the house. Who could have foreseen this? Uh, so the other kid, the one who shot the kid, he is sitting there 
justifiably freaking out because he's, you know, probably in all likelihood murdered his brother. And so he's, you know, understandably upset, crying, kind of rocking back and forth. And the dad just will not let up on him. Like he's like snapping at him and tells him, shut up, stop crying. And he's like several times, he's like, shut up. I said, shut up. And then when it finally, like the gravity of the situation kind of wait, you know, hits on him. Then he's goes into like dad mode and he's like, I'm sorry. He, like sits down next to him and tries to comfort him. He's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then he's like, then he starts in with the like, Oh, I always keep my guns locked up. But I must've forgot. I must've forgot. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it wasn't worth having them in the first place. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. And then the, the weirdest fucking part. Okay. Before I get into this, but uh, the quickly dad slash cop is played by Mark Ralston, uh, who has roles in Shawshank aliens, uh, rush hour and the departed. The departed. Um, Thank you for correcting it. <laughs> and uh, but the by far the most frustrating part of this sequence, beyond just the like whole you know, oh, I always keep my guns locked up. There's no way they could have. But yeah, whatever. Um, is that we never come back to this storyline at all. Like there's no, we don't find out if the kid lives or dies. We don't find out if there's any. There, there's no arc with this. Like it's just we just leave it here. And I, I, I just bah. I feel like there's a good chance for a message here or something like that. But yeah, like, yeah. It's just, they just like it's like, oh, and we're done. Yeah. We're not even halfway through the episode and we're done. So then we check in with the gentleman with lung cancer. His name is Mike. And we find out that they're going to flush the excess calcium out of his system. And this should help him regain his faculties. Right word. Yes, his faculties. And... The woman that's with him, she's like, oh, I met Mike at church. He's such a nice guy. You know, we live together, but it's not like that. I just help him out because, you know, he doesn't have anybody. And he's just so sweet and he's the best. She's totally in love with him. Like, there's no question. She is absolutely smitten with this man the way she's looking at him. And then Mark and Susan are in the back just looking at each other like, hee 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 hee. So they get him all hooked up and ready to go. And then... Mark gets called over because Renee's boyfriend is here and they need to talk about what happened. So they, Renee, her father, her boyfriend, and Mark are all discussing, you know, what Renee did earlier that day. And Mark's trying to get her checked in. He's like, dude, was this a suicide attempt? Were you trying to hurt yourself? Renee, talk to me. And like, Renee just leaning over at her boyfriend, like, I want to go home. It was an accident. Like, just... Clearly not not wanting to communicate, not wanting to have any part of it. So Mark's like, I can't I can't sign her in. Like he tries to get her, he's like, you know, sign yourself in for a couple days, get yourself cleaned up. And she's like, No, I wanna go home and so the dad's like, Ugh, I have to go to work and he leaves to walk away and Mark's like, No, come back because he has to sign her out since she's technically a minor. So dad's like, oh, fine, like, we're, this is a losing battle anyway. So the dad signs her out, essentially AMA, and that's where we leave it, because she won't admit it was a suicide attempt, so Mark can't force her to stay. Yeah, but we will revisit them a little bit later. Uh, but for now, uh, Dr. Hicks has noticed that Peter's trying to, you know, trying to get someone to cover for him tonight so he can get back for his mom's birthday, and she has some words for him, so let's give those a listen. Dr. Benton. I understand you're anxious to change your shift tonight? 
not anxious, but I was hoping to find somebody to cover for me, yeah. Well, it's happened a lot lately. A couple of times, yeah. Four times, I checked. Peter has not forbidden swap shifts, but we don't want to encourage it. Look, Dr. Hicks, are well, you sure? Well, let me finish. Dr. Morgenstern and I have spent a great deal of time with the schedule, and we try to provide every resident with a well-rounded work experience. In swap shifts, you upset the balance. Uh, Peter, you've got two women with abdominal pain, yeah, curtain yeah. two. Um, my, uh, my mother's been ill. It's always difficult. But if your mother's declining health becomes an impediment in your completing your residency, you may want to consider taking a hiatus. Peter, you'll be right there. It's not uncommon. You're an excellent doctor. These things happen. You can rejoin the program next year. That won't be necessary. So we understand each other then? Yeah. Sometime this century, Peter. Lydia, have some fucking chill. Like, Jesus Christ, woman. I have never... So, I get that this is different because it, you know, it's a, a hospital and he's technically, you know, still a resident and he's still learning and, you know, he's not a fully formed doctor yet. So, I get that this is a completely different environment from anything I've experienced. But as somebody who has both worked shift work and made schedules for shift work, I have never understood the fucking hard-on that some people have for swapping shifts. For, like, don't swap shifts. It, it upsets the... what it, it literally could not matter less. Like, if you have a person who swaps a shift with somebody else, that one person... Ha it's a one-for-one -one trade. Literally, everybody comes out of it exactly the same. The only thing that's changed is who's going to be there when. And as long as everything's covered, who gives a shit? I don't know. It just, that kind of like stuck in my craw is like, you know, having come from shift work and like I said, having made the schedule, when I made schedules, I didn't give a shit. As long as the stuff was covered and everybody was like there and I didn't get a phone call, then I didn't give a fuck. So I just, I don't know, that, that attitude bothered me a little bit. So we find out why Lydia's in such a hurry to get Peter aside. There are two girls with with abdominal seizures from something they ate. And we see these two girls and their stomachs are just roiling. Like, it's just <clears throat> these awful muscular convulsions in their abs. And they're just like, just, just, it looks awful. And Peter comes in to examine them because he's the one that happened to be available for it. And as he's examining them... All of a sudden, they rise up from under the sheets, and they're both in belly dancer costumes. And they're belly dancers, and they put a happy birthday Peter sash on him. And oh my god, Carter, you fucked up. It's not Peter's birthday. This is the most horrifying thing. Because we've seen this episode before, we actually fast-forwarded through this scene because it's so <laughs> uncomfortable to watch. I it could is... not deal with the cringe. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. This is very... This is this was my it's too least much. favorite part of the episode. So in the midst of this insanity, Carol grabs Doug because the paramedics have brought in a baby that fell out of a second story window. Again, we are so all over the place in this in this episode tonally. It's just going back and forth. We can't feel happy or sad for more than three minutes at a time, gang. The father is wearing a really stupid bear's hat. <laughs> I did not like that design at all. Um, and we find out that the girl apparently fell off the balcony onto the driveway, which is about 15 feet. And we see her face is all bruised up and she's got a little um, cervical collar on to kind of keep keep her neck straight while they while they make sure that what the extent of the injuries are. 
And as Doug is examining her, he just says, tough day to be a kid. So this is going to come back. But for now, we Tag shows up for the first time for the first time in a few episodes. Is this the first time we've seen him since he showed his ass to the world? Literally. Yep. I think so. Yeah, that was what? Episode 14? Yeah, three episodes, I think it's been. Weird Carol and Tag sex noises. On that lovely note, they're discussing what church they want to get married in. So let's listen in. Hey, hey. Hey. I hate it. That is a beautiful church. It's a mausoleum. My family's been coming here for years. Why don't we just rent Soldier Field? We can invite fewer guests. We don't have to fill it up. Hey, Beth got married there, and it was lovely. Oh, yeah, your sister, great. Maybe I could borrow her wedding dress, too. Look, Tag, you know what? I hate it, okay? Isn't that enough? Sure, fine. I'm sorry. I'm tired. I was up all night with Tatiana. I'm worried about her. I I was thinking that maybe I could do more to help her. I was thinking maybe we could adopt her. You want to adopt a kid with AIDS? Yeah. She doesn't have anybody. She doesn't speak the language. She's completely alone. How advanced is the virus? She doesn't have a lot of time. What, a month, a year, five? What difference does it make? We could be watching a child die for years. Why, why do you have to do this now, three months before the wedding? Why? Because she needs us now. So if I don't want to do this, does that make me a bad person? No. I have to get back to the hospital. Dang, that's cold. Mm, heavy. Heavy shit. It's the beginning <laughs> of the end. The beginning of the end of tag. Also, did it look to you guys like uh, he had thinned out a little bit since the last time we saw him? He did look different. We both were like, is that the same actor? It's definitely the same actor, but I feel like he lost some weight between the last time we've seen him. Could be. But yeah, this is just like the fact that he pulls the am I a bad person for not wanting to do this? And it's like, well, no, but you guys are going to actually have to have a conversation about it. You're so. still being an ass about it. To be fair, she's being really unreasonable yeah i mean the the timing is very poor like that's not the time i think to be having that discussion i mean i get that it's sort of time sensitive but you're kind of in the middle of one thing and you're trying to then shift the conversation to something else equally if not more like serious and requiring serious thought and consideration so to be having that conversation on either side of a car out in the cold after you've just been fighting about picking a wedding venue. I don't know. I just feel like the environment for that conversation was all wrong. Like that was just not good. The fact that she just shits all over his family's church. Yeah. That's, that's real. She's not really in the mood to compromise. That's for sure. No, just that's fucked up. I don't think she's really in the mood for anything. I wouldn't be after getting as little sleep as she has. No, but then you say, maybe we do this a different day. I'm on three hours sleep, and if there's that. a lot of shit going on. And then we quick go back to the hospital. 
with Carter walking by Benton and being like, oh, happy birthday, Dr. Benton. And Benton's like, it's not my birthday. Just leave me alone. And then Susan and Mark are walking down the hallway, just sort of chatting about their days and what's going on. And Mark said, you know, Mark says, you know, he had a possible heart attack and it was the guy's 60th wedding anniversary. And, you know, Susan just says, wow, 60 years. My record's only 60 weeks. You know, she's like, I don't think she'll ever get married. And she knows, he's like, I know, all the marriages I know are pretty rocky. And Su- and Mark's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> and Susan, of course, laughs it off in true Susan Lewis fashion. And we just got a couple of quick hitters here as we go around the, uh, the nurse's station. Uh, Jackie's called twice for Peter. Uh, so he's... Jackie's on his case about showing up for the party. Uh, Diane Leeds shows up. She's looking for Dr. Ross. And then we get a little tidbit, which never really gets followed up on, but I thought was fun, uh, that we hear Jerry on the phone talking to someone uh, saying it's going to be a bit later than that. Does Jerry, does sweet baby Jerry have a hot date? It could be. Jerry's got game. I could believe it. He's uh, getting training for all that sex equipment that he... God, no. (laughs) I will not believe that this is a thing. Uh, Just you wait. He's meeting up with the dominatrix to show him the ropes, quite literally. Also, I'm real mad. Earlier, when you said that that dad was quite attached to the tiger, I missed my my way in to say, no, it's the kid that's attached to it. Ayy. And I'm real sad about that. Um, so then Benton runs into Miss Jeannie Boulay in the hallway, and we find out that Jeannie was invited to the birthday party, and she asks Peter if she can have a ride there after their shifts are done. And she's like, my husband can pick me up after the after the party's over, but, you know, we're going the same way. Would you mind giving me a ride there? And his first thought is, well, I didn't know you were married. Okay, that's, what that's we're none of your business. About. Yeah, and she, she's like, well, I take my ring off when I, when I work with patients. I don't, you know, want to get it gross. And he's like, well, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to, like, get out. So maybe find your own ride. And then we go to Doug's next patient, who it's a little boy with a very persistent cough just not feeling good at all and the mother is donna from the west wing second west wing mentioned this episode go mm-hmm. team and daniel do you have anything else that she's been in yes uh she's our other cast connection from earlier uh which before i get too far actress's name is janelle maloney previously mentioned she had a long stint on west wing but she also goes on later much later to work with carol juliana margulies on the good wife i have to check and see if that show is worth it i've heard pretty good things same my mom loves it if that gives you any indication maybe it won't um (laughs) I, i just have a real i just have a real hard time with pretty much everyone in the show other than Clooney of accepting them in any other role you know what I mean? Like I get like very locked into their ER personas. And so it's weird to, it's still weird to me seeing her in like advertisements for that show. I'm like, I'm telling you, you watch season three of designated survivor on Netflix (laughs) and seeing Anthony Edwards say shit, say cunt, (laughs) say fuck. It's great. And just basically be the American version of uh, Peter Capaldi on that one show. (laughs) Fuckity bye. Yeah. Of that. In political show it's yeah. a movie okay of that movie excuse me sorry i'm not a connoisseur of british cinema fuckity bye exactly but mark's basically the version of anthony edwards is basically the version the american version of that guy it's just i 
there was such a cognitive dissonance going on. <laughs> Chief of staff to Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. Um, but we go we go back to not Donna, and she says she says you know I try to get him some meat at least once a week, and we find out the kid's anemic, he's malnourished, and Doug's like, you've got to do better than that, you really do. And she goes, well, once I pay for the heat, there's really not that much left, and it's real hard to make it go around. And he's like, well, how many kids do you have? And she's like, four. And he goes ahead and he gives her um, some numbers for, like, food banks. And Lydia gets her a list of different charities that she can go to. And she's like, I'm not going to go to a shelter. And he's like, well, it's not to live there. It's just to feed your kids. Like, make it happen. And I just noted that in any other episode, Doug probably would have gone through hell and high water to fucking balance this woman's checkbook (laughs) and get her a new house and a job in the ER if he saw four kids suffering like this. Like, he's definitely toning down the white knight. Well, he's toning it down, I guess, by default here because this is the only time we see this. Like, I was, when I was watching it, I was like, this type of patient with Doug or this type of uh, interaction with Doug it does not work as a a go nowhere patient like it does not work as a B plot or a C plot patient like we have to see it through all the way in order for Doug to go through his whole process and come out the other side of it because in this interaction he just looks like a preachy asshole like he makes he doesn't really make any effort to solve the problem or to address the root cause of the problem he just kind of browbeats this mother and without using the words is like you're a bad mom and doesn't really yeah, just like, do the thing lady right just yeah, do the thing hard. Lady. just yeah. go to the food bank just have more money poor person like and it's do you have do you have food stamps yeah like he's just you know we need in order for it to be a full you know full spectrum uh interaction with doug like we've got to see the whole process and we've got to see him understand that he doesn't know everything and that his experience is not universal and that you know there are outside circumstances a lot of times causing these situations and when it's this like cut off thing where it's just like one scene quick you're a bad mom fuck you gotta go it just it just doesn't work like it just does it comes off he comes off looking like an asshole and and he's not like he's not an asshole but in these interactions that's what he looks like and it's just you know i don't know well yeah it's like it's in contrast to that what episode two episode three with the woman who couldn't get her daughter the inhaler exactly yeah what if we would have just cut that off right at the very beginning where he was just like hey get it yourself fuck you you know like that would not have been good either but right you know i think they're just really just saving all of doug's uh white knight bullshit well maybe not white knight bullshit but all of his righteous fury for uh this next little scene here uh because we revisit the the little girl who quote unquote fell off the balcony turns out uh, uh, yeah yeah about that the docs rolled her over to do something and there was a huge fucking boot print bruise on the back on her entire back and doug doug with justifiable righteous fury just storms out of the room you could practically see the smoke coming out of his ears and just says mutters under his breath son of a bitch and just marches towards this guy you know everyone's trying to stop him because malik knows what doug's about what doug's about to do god and 
Doug just starts beating the shit out of this guy, or at least trying to beat the shit out of this he, guy. He does at least uh, ask the guy to like let let him see his boot print first. Like he does at least do the detective work, the the bare minimum detective work of just like does the boot print match, and when it does, then he's like, okay, game on, and beats the shit out of him from there. Yeah, and props to Malik and Jerry. They're trying to do what they can for as as impromptu security people to just try, just try and stop Doug from like killing this guy almost yeah it didn't get quite that far but like the way Doug's acting it like he might not have stopped and I can't say I fully blame him yeah I mean it's it's obviously a super fucked up situation I will say though based on the definition and like perfection of that boot print on that little girl's back he must have straight up fucking 300 at her off that balcony like he must have just like kicked her as hard yep. as he fucking could and just yeeted her out into that fucking driveway <laughs> oh, God. oh that's I, that's a terrible visual thank you for that <laughs> daniel I'm just, Yeet. I'm just saying he yoked her yeeted yoked I don't know. Had yeet. I'm 31. I don't know. I'm not hip with the kids these days. I don't know. I don't play Minecraft or Fortnite. I tried to do the floss dance from Fortnite that my 13-year-old nephew showed me how to do, and I can't make it work. I I have no idea how the mechanics of that works. It, so. it baffles me every time he shows me. Anyway, but then immediately after Doug has been successfully restrained, uh, we cut back out to... The ambulance bay, still the weird ambulance bay from last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Under the soothing sounds of the L, we have uh, Doug and Mark discussing what just happened. So let's listen in. screwed up this time, huh? Yeah, you did. Just gonna press charges? I doubt it. I don't think he wants uh, his friends to know that he let a pediatrician beat him up. He's got other problems. A couple of detectives from domestic violence talking to him in the lounge right now. God, it's freezing out here. I won't say I'm sorry, because I'm not. Then don't. So what happens now? I had to tell Morgenstern what happened. What did he say? He wasn't very happy. I think you're looking at ink blots, couch time, probably resident review committee. Your friend's still here. What? The brunette. She's waiting for you at admitting. I'm heading home. Oh, Rachel, happy birthday. It's your birthday, right? Ah, yeah, I was uh, supposed to be there an hour ago. Jennifer's going to kill me. Tell her it's my fault. I always do. They do a really good job here of Mark balancing between friend and manager. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, you fucked up, dude. Like, there's going to be consequences. He doesn't try to cover for Doug. He doesn't do anything like that. He's just like, no, you fucked up. Here's what's going to happen. And I also just noticed, I don't know if it's the lighting or what, but here more than any other point, I just, I looked at Mark and Doug and I just noticed that 
you know, they're supposed to be kind of on par with Susan and Peter as far as like age and where they are in their careers. But Doug and Mark just look older to me by like a good five or ten years. And it makes me really curious hmm. to look at the cast ages and see how close that is. But like there's moments in these early seasons where Benton just looks really young. Well, Mark, the, we established, I think, in the pilot that Mark and Benton were classmates in medical school. And Doug, well, see, and Doug, I feel like, I don't think it's ever mentioned that Doug is a resident. Like, he's doing a fellowship, I think, but I don't even think that's been established at this point. I think Doug is just presented as just a doctor. So Doug could be older. Yeah, he's just a pediatrician who happens to work in the ER. Well, no, because he just had a resident review board. Mark did. Yeah, that's true. About the consequences of Doug's actions. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. They, they definitely have fleshed out Doug's background and how he ended up in the ER the least of all the other patients or all the other residents like they have not really fleshed out exactly where he is in his career in terms of qualifications and stuff like that gotcha but yeah that was just what I noticed and I like how Mark's just like yeah I will blame it on you I always blame it on you bye (laughs) and then we have a quick zip over to Mike the lung cancer patient smoking a cigarette by that main stairwell he just looks so sleazy and gross. Yeah, don't do that. And Susan's like, you can't do that in here. You have lung cancer. What are you doing? He's like, well, one more is not going to hurt, but here, fine. Because she's like, you're going to blow yourself up. Because I think he's hooked up to oxygen. Yes, yeah. So he's he's like, fine. And he wipes it off on his shoe and then chucks it aside or puts it in the little cup holder thing on his IV tray. And then as he walks away, you just see his ass hanging out of his gown. And Susan's just like, so yeah just a little gross wrap up with him we don't really see him again after this shot so it's just like okay he's given up on life have fun living with your lady friend bye (laughs) yeah and then we get into our last trauma of the episode oh such a classy gentleman going out on a doozy yeah there's one more after this oh there is the very last scene Oh, true, true. Well, uh, yeah, it's our last new This is the patient. last, like, oh, big trauma. It's yeah, our last, our new, last new trauma patient. There we go. Spoilers. Just to be pedantic. That just is your forte tonight. That's <laughs> just your... It's just what you're all about. But this guy is a stabbing victim. He's got a knife lodged firmly in his chest. Um, in his heart. Yeah, in his heart, specifically. Um, and we say classy because he has a die N-word die tattoo and also a swastika both of which look extremely amateur and he's a skinhead yeah he's just a general nazi skinhead for the record fuck nazis they all deserve to die thank you very much nazi is not a respectable political agenda nazi ain't got no humanity yes fuck nazis (laughs) we ain't having that shit exactly and, of course, naturally, getting back to the actual scene, um, one more time just for parody, fuck, fuck Nazis. Nazis. Getting back to the actual scene, of course, all of the people working on this guy are all people of color. It's Benton, Malik. Connie. Connie. Yeah. Rolando is in there, I think. No. No, he's not in yet. Benton, Malik, Connie, the the um, Asian nurse. Lily. Lily. Yeah. I think that's it. Those are the big, like, named ones that are in there for sure. Yeah. But isn't Hicks in there, too? I th- I feel like it. I, I know she's up in the write. surgery. We but... forgot to write it down. But but yeah. No no, no white doctors. Yeah, not a, not a 
Not a white person in the crowd. And so they're just getting to it, and Malik looks so pissed off that he has to save this motherfucker. That he has to help at all with this. Hell, like, I'd be pissed that I have yeah, to save him. Yeah, for sure. But just the look of rage on Malik's face as they transition out of this scene is so good. And I just want to give that actor a little bit of credit, because like he nails it. Who I don't think we've we've really given props to before, but we really no, should. he's great. Yeah, Malik is really good and, and is with us for quite a while, if not the whole run of the show. And also, A-tier fucking name with Deezer D. That is an oh, amazing yeah. name. So. Deezer motherfucking okay, D. Okay, you guys always joke and reference Deezer D. Am I missing something with who he is? No, that's literally is? his name. No, no, yeah. no, no, but I'm saying, like, you always reference him like he had some other big career that... It sounds like he should have been a hip hop star in the '90s, but he's really not. But he's just an actor. Yeah. Oh, he's okay. Really, just a working actor. You guys have done that some sometimes, where you've been like Deezer D or things <laughs> like that, and it makes me think I'm missing some inside joke. No, the name just sounds like he deserves a hype man. It really does. Yeah. He like he should have been more than than just Malik, but this is like the most significant thing he ever did. Not just Malik. No, I know, Malik but I mean, like Malik treasure. is fine, but like you know, like with a name like Deezer D, like. He should have been in NWA. Like, Well, I can be his resident hype man because I am the best podcast hype woman there is. So from there, from that awful, awful trauma, we, we flip over to find out what does Diane Leeds want from Doug? He goes to, to say hi to her because she's been waiting there for forever. She saw him beat the shit out of that douchebag who kicked his daughter. And she, why does she look so happy to see him? From a few episodes ago, she hates him. Based off her friend's opinion, she hates his guts. Uh, and she's like, oh, he's like, well, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I want to talk to you about Jake, but it can wait. You should get somebody to check on your hand. And she just looks all flustered and like, oh, like my word, Doug, Doug, Dougie, Doug, Doug. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really weird shift between the two of them over these past few episodes. And I know what they're trying to do and I'm not here for it. I don't like it. I think, so my headcanon is, well, not headcanon, but my suspicion here is that I think that much like us, the writers forgot that Linda exists. <laughs> like, I really do think that they just forgot about her and were like, well, he's he's needs a, like, woman. Like, we need to give him a love interest, so let's do this one. And then at some point, very soon, someone in that writer's room is going to point out that... They never wrote out Linda, and then they're going to be like, oh, shit. And they have to, like, go back and retcon that because it's she's still going to make an appearance or two, you know, before we're done with her. So I feel like they have to wrap that up somehow because, yes, they were doing the whole, like, hey, it's a 90s world casual thing. It's cool. No labels, whatever we left them with last time. But, like, they also didn't, like, wrap that up. She's been referred to off-camera. I mean, uh, like, not seen, but referred to a couple times since then. So clearly, they still had her in the in the plans at some point, but at some point over the last few episodes, they just forgot that she ever fucking existed. And yeah, for sure. That's where we're at. But then we go to the nurse's station after that, and we see Rolando, the desk clerk, coming in. And do we see him more? Yes, he... He will have five total appearances, and by my okay. count, by my count, this is his second, I believe. Okay. So we should have a couple more appearances of Rolando, but he's not long. Yeah, so he was leaving first thing in the morning when Doug got there, and now he's coming in for his night shift. We see Jerry packing up and leaving with his cigar, as always, and, you know, he's walking out and saying, all right, bye, guys. Happy birthday, Dr. Benton. 
And then <laughs> Benton is sent up to scrub in with Dr. Hicks to remove the knife from douchebag Nazi guy. And he's had five missed calls from his sister. Mm. She's been calling off the hook. What was my prediction earlier? I don't think Benton's going to make it to this birthday party, you, you two. Nope. And Hicks, too, kind of gives him the, like, what are you going to do? Look, like, you can either come in here and put your career first or you can go that Like, she doesn't have to say anything, but she know like, which I felt like was a str- – I mean, I don't know. She's in, a like, a role of – she's strictly professional. So it's like she, her whole thing is can you do this job or not, you know. But I also felt like it was kind of a dick move that she was putting him in such a, a tight spot there. But that's the job. So then we go check in one last time with Carol. Um, she's gone to visit Tatiana, who is stuck in the infant room, which, I mean, Tatiana's, what, four or five? Like, she should not be in the infant room, but she's Well, they stuck. admit that. Yeah, they, they, they do. They say it's because the room that's for her own age group is full, um, and they're hoping to move her there temp- uh, eventually, once the spot opens up. And just, you know, the whole arc here is just, awful and heartbreaking and we're not done with it yet like we're, we're, we're pretty much done with it for this episode but we we're going to pick at this scab at least one more time uh before we're done with it and uh after that we've got to wrap up with mark and rachel uh well rachel's birthday party so that we've been hearing all about it how it's rachel's birthday all episode as well um so mark finally gets home and we get this audio interaction <laughs> Oh, happy birthday. Thanks, bye. Bye. Kiss first. Thanks for getting home in time to help. I couldn't get away. I'm sorry. It's okay. Craig helped. Craig? You know the other clerk. young Craig. Sure, we ran out of ice cream. Rachel loved her gift. What'd we get her? Super NES. Thought we weren't gonna do that. Well, she asked five times a day for three months, so I gave in. So you found time. Oh, it's from Susan Lewis. Oh. Don't start. Judge Franklin asked me to clerk for him again next year. And? I'm going to do it. No running in the house! That's it? You just decided? Well, you made your decision unilaterally. Now I've made mine. So we have reached the next circle of hell with these two. Uh, (laughs) Like they've gone from just purely not communicating to now they've moved strictly into spite where it's just like, I'm going to do things that I know annoy you so that I can like score imaginary points. Like it's, they've just, they've like gone from this place of just like, we're not communicating, but we both still love each other, but it's not working. And I don't really understand why. And it's all confusing. And now it's just like, I kind of hate this person and I'm going to do everything I can to antagonize them. And it's like, 
you know, the way they talk to each other in this interaction is the way that like they, they talk to each other like they're already divorced. Like they talk to each other as though there's this like bitter, infectious thing between like it's just it's not healthy at all. Like it's a very, very toxic interaction between the two of them. See, I'm just focused on the fact that Rachel got a Super Nintendo for her birthday present, and I never had one. I didn't get one until way later, but I mean, this is very... I mean, this is 1995, so this is right prime time for for that to be, like, the hot gift. And I know. I, they did... I like how they did a full name drop on it, too. Like, yeah, well, she, she got a Super Nintendo. Like, she didn't get a game system, <laughs> or she didn't get a Nintendo. She got a Super Nintendo. Like, I feel like they might have paid for that name drop. And we also get mention of uh, this mysterious Craig who is mentioned but not seen or heard because he's conveniently at the store so they don't have to show him. Don't think they cast that part yet. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll, I, I don't remember. Do we find out more about Craig? I feel like we do. Like I feel like, I, oh, yeah. I, feel I, like don't, I, have, I don't remember, but I feel like Craig becomes at least slightly more significant until uh, you know the eventual ugliness that's coming but yeah i think he's a part of the catalyst of the end of their marriage if i recall correctly yeah this is just like they've always been shitty you know like these two but i feel like this is far and away the worst one like this is like this is not just a simple case of like not communicating there's legitimate like disdain and spite between these two like they've they've graduated to i don't like you anymore when he puts down the gift from susan and He's like, oh, no, it's from Susan Lewis. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. My friend bought our daughter a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's everything is and a lot of it is coming from her direction. And, you know, we've we've talked a lot already to this point about how, you know, Jennifer's got some legitimate gripes. You know, she has some legitimate points to be made. But it seems at least now from her perspective that the mood has changed or the tone has changed from a constructive one of just like we have real problems here and we need to work on them to now it seems like she's no longer interested in working on them and is just interested in like hurting him and like making needling and just like "Eh, what do you think about that i bought her the thing you didn't want me to buy and like this dude is here and like uh, you know just i don't know it's just all very like petty and i feel like you know he he doesn't help the situation either but it just goes to show how dysfunctional they are yeah it's not great um lizzie do you have anything else on the mark and jen show Nah, their marriage is fucked. Let's watch it burn down. Fire. Gets it um, gets him over to uh, Lizzie sooner. Very true. So then we check on Mr. Benton. We see him getting home. We hear the sounds of people cleaning up. He has missed the party by about an hour. And Jeannie, poor awkward Jeannie, is sitting <laughs> at the dining room table with a, like a cup of coffee or something, I think. Just watching this whole scene unfold. Doing the Jesse Pinkman, like, drinking the water. (laughs) Yep. She's so uncomfortable. And Peter tries to tell Jackie that he's sorry. And he's like, his mom's still up. Like, you know, can I go see her? Blah, blah, blah. And Jackie's like, no, the fuck? You cannot go see our mom. She's asleep. Whatever. And, like, she's like, don't fucking talk to me. And Walt stops Peter from going after her and is like, work on the cleanup. I'll talk to Jackie in a couple days when she's willing to listen and has calmed down and like just leave it. And then Walt goes after Jackie and Benton chucks this bouquet against the wall and is leaning against the kitchen counter and is just like 
I couldn't be at my mother's birthday because I had to save a man with die and word die tattooed on his forearm. Just says it with such seething rage in front of poor Jeannie, who's just trying to mind her own goddamn business and wait for her husband to pick her up. Just like the and, most awkward tension ever. But yeah, Jeannie's husband is just super rude. Fuck. Like, just honking aggressively to get her out there. At like probably like nine at night. Yeah. Like what the fuck, dude? Does this technically count as the first appearance of Al Boulay? Like, because, you know, I he'll, mean, he'll be around for, you know, very while, soon yeah. here in quite a while. Yeah. And, and he's kind of a piece of shit. So, you know, this is very on brand for Al Boulay. Mm, yeah. Yeah. He he really is considering what he does to Genie. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of a shit. Uh. But more on that in the episodes and times to come. Uh, but for now, we finish off the episode with guess who's back renee Woo. and this time she's really done it like they have to intubate intubate her immediately she is not conscious at all and you know susan's just kind of getting angry at her like you know no one's died today with us and we're not starting with you so and it just sort of do it we just sort of do one of those slow pans out and then we eventually catch the dad leaning up against uh a wall while they work on renee and ending on quite a somber note so pretty weird episode this is super weird like i i don't think i like this episode very much like i think i think this is my weakest one since we kind of got into like the the flow of the show proper like i feel like this probably is my my bottom of my list which is so funny because this was one where we watched it and i was like wow there's a lot of beats in here i'm really excited to dig into it was just like yeah it's a bit of a hodgepodge and it's kind of all over the map tonally but i think this the character arcs that we have in it are worth it enough to kind of make up for that yeah there's yeah. too many beats that go nowhere that is fair yeah, a lot of dead ends and you know while while i do think there's lots to dig into as far as dissecting it it's more of a dissection of like where it goes wrong and how it's so starkly different from things that surround it you know like we're we're heading in a very specific direction and this episode just doesn't do a whole lot to serve any of that it's just a lot of dead ends and a lot of out of character moments for people and just it's just odd it's just really really odd and it's not and it's not redeemed with any one plot line the way some of our other tonally strange episodes have been you know so we've had those really weird back and forth jarring episodes in the past but they've always been kind of held down by this really strong a plot and this episode just is missing that really strong a plot yeah, because it like there's no real central theme that I was able to identify. Because at first it looks like okay, maybe it's going to be a Doug episode with how we bring into it, and then it's like okay, maybe it could be a Carol episode. But that doesn't really right. happen, and so it's just like it doesn't really. And it's like okay, it's a Peter episode because of his mom's birthday, but it doesn't really feel like for how much of a quote unquote Peter episode it is that right. we really get a lot of like him in it. Yeah, and I don't think that's I don't think it being his mom's birthday is a strong enough plot thread to carry an episode. So, in order for it to really carry an episode, I feel like there needs to be a signature patient or there needs to be a signature conflict or something that is going to carry the thread through. And just going back and even looking through like yes, we touch on the Tatiana stuff and yes, we touch on Benton's 
uh, mom's birthday. And yes, we, t- we like we touch on a lot of different like, I guess if you have to pick a central patient or like a, a signature patient for this episode, it's Renee. But do we ever really explore that beyond surface level? Not really. Not and really. We, don't, we don't really learn much about her or anything, but yet she's the one that keeps showing up time and time again. So it's just sort of it's just weird. There's just nothing to really grab onto with this episode. But I think it's definitely, you know, I, and I know for sure this is just a small bump in the road. Like we're we're going into some really heavy stuff here very, very soon. All right. Well, that should just about wrap up our episode for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter. We are at set the tone ER. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash setting the tone podcast. And we are at setting the tone podcast on Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. You can help your fellow patrons unlock bonus shows, including a special season recap episode. That is wow. I know we, I know I say this like every time lately, but Jesus Christ it's coming up fast. And also a monthly bonus show where we just talk about whatever's going on for us at in our lives, what's going on, pop culture, current events, different stuff like that. Have and we've also decided that our first ever movie commentary uh, that should be unlocked regularly at a higher Patreon tier. But you know, we're just really excited about them, so we just really want to get the first one into your hands, give you all a taste of what you can help us unlock on Patreon.com/slash the Tone Podcast first movie that we've decided we're going to do is up in the air which stars george clooney as our main er hook in there it's also available one of the ones readily available on netflix so it's nice and easy for all of us to watch we're not quite sure how we're going to distribute that quite yet so keep an, keep your eyes peeled on our social medias and uh hopefully we'll have some other some more information on that at the end of our next episode for you but otherwise, our theme music today was provided by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Uh, Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. Uh, you can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, which I co-host or I host with my co-host, Jake Terrell, uh, where we do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a mock trial. Um, our One of our more recent episodes, by the time you're hearing this, um, is... Uh, it's framed as a, a trial of No Man's Sky, but really it's more about kind of games in general that get kind of released before their time or get get dumped early and whether or not it's fair to kind of criticize the game developers and things like that. It's it's a, a topic that I feel like is kind of it's kind of topical at this time of uh, at this point where we're, we're seeing more and more games kind of get pushed out early and kind of the paying audiences being used kind of as testers for it so we just kind of dive in on that a little bit yes i was conductor of the no man's sky hype train for about a year and a half so was i i am so excited it's this crazy game called called no man's sky (laughs) um but yeah no i i am so thirsty for this episode also the netflix uh reboot one you guys just released was really really good thank you and lauren where can folks find you at Folks can find me tweeting about chalky milk and chicky nuggies on my personal Twitter <laughs> at lobob92345, full of dope baby Yoda memes. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for episode 18. Jesus. And have a great week. 